0: Good morning. So today we get a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13 which is exciting Uh, and I was a little bit nervous uh, coming to this chapter because this is the love chapter. If you know anything about scripture and about this chapter it's known as the love chapter in the Bible Um, and and it's made famous by a couple of verses that, that go like this. Okay this is maybe you've heard this before. So something I'm curious about this morning, this is a rather popular passage, and something else that it's popular, it's popular for being used in weddings. And so I was curious this morning, if just by a show of hands, if you remember, guys be careful, uh, how many of you had this used in your wedding? Raise your hand if this was used in your wedding. Okay, okay, good. I was really nervous when I was writing this to ask that question, because I was like, this is gonna blow up in my face and it's gonna be nobody and then it's just going to be crickets, and I'm going to be standing here looking like a fool. So I'm glad there are a number of people that it checks out. This is a popular passage used in weddings. Um, But we get a look at love this morning. We get a look at love. And so another fun question for those who are are married or even maybe just in a relationship with another person. Do you remember the first time you told your significant other that you loved them? Do you remember that first time that you told your significant other that you loved them? I'm seeing some people. Again, guys, I apologize if I get you in trouble with that question. That was not my intent. Uh, But as you think about that, uh, I I do remember the first time fairly well that I told Sammy that I loved her. Uh, It was almost six years ago now. Uh, We were both in college, Uh, I had come down with this nasty cold, I had come down with this nasty cold. Now being a guy in college, I wasn't the most prepared for this to happen. Um, You know, I I didn't have any medicine, uh, and I had a high fever, and so I wasn't going to drive myself anywhere. Um, And then on top of all of that, uh, the the only liquid intake that I had probably had for a week was pop, um, naturally. And so, you know, like, I'm not in the healthiest of states at this point. Um, I had become dehydrated uh, and started to hyperventilate. Uh, I don't know if you've ever hyperventilated before. I had not previous to this moment. It's a weird feeling. It's an extremely weird feeling. Um, And so I didn't know what was happening. I didn't even know that I was hyperventilating. All I knew was that my arms and legs were slowly becoming numb, uh, and that didn't feel normal to me um and so sammy and i we had been dating for a month or two at this point um and and at the point that my arms and legs are becoming numb i text her and i'm like hey would you take me to a doctor because i feel like i should probably see someone about this Uh, and and she was off campus with some friends and so it took her a little bit to get back onto campus Um, and by the time she did i was kind of worse and i was becoming delirious or whatever i don't know um, but it, it was one of those moments where I thought I was dying, right? Right? It's one of those sicknesses, I thought I was dying, you know, like this is the end, this is how I go. And so, uh, I, I, you know, Sammy got me into her Jeep uh, and we took off heading towards a doctor. You know, I'm still hyperventilating and I'm, I'm really getting close to being the point of passing out. Uh, and I just wanted this girl to know, you know, before I die, I need you to know how I feel about you. And so that was the first moment that I told Sammy that I loved her. So I didn't die, if you can't tell. Um, But it was late enough that the urgent clinics were closed. And so uh, I ended up going to the emergency room for the first time in my life, which is also an interesting experience. Um, But 30 minutes after getting some meds in my system and having an IV, I felt completely fine. And so, but that was the night. That was the first time that I told Sammy that I loved her. Uh, And here we are now, uh, four years into marriage. We've got one kiddo and one on the way. Um, You know, love is a powerful thing. It's a powerful thing. And what we'll see in this chapter is is that love is a choice. Is that love is a choice, and at times it can be a hard choice. So the last message I preached a couple weeks ago, in chapters 12 and 14, and there is a reason I skipped over 13, and the reason is is because Paul has an interesting thought breakdown as he writes these chapters. Um, in chapter 12, he's talking about spiritual gifts, and then 13 he talks about love, and then in 14 he goes back to talking about spiritual gifts. And so it's this weird, you know, people ask, well, why why here in the middle is he talking about love? Well, here's the reason why. If we remember, the reason that Paul was talking about spiritual gifts was because he was addressing unity within the church. He's saying, hey, if you guys figure out where you belong on the team, where you fit in, where your gifting is, where God has blessed you, then the church can be become better united by everybody playing their part. But he takes a break here in chapter 13 to talk about love because love is the glue that holds unity together love is the glue that holds unity together and so if you would you can open up with me to chapter 13 in first corinthians we'll be looking at verse 1 so there in in verse 1 it starts and it says if i of men or angels but do not have love I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. Now, uh, just a quick break here. Um, Something to remember that, right, this is the context of spiritual gifts. And so Paul is talking about uh, tongues and prophecy because these are two of the greater gifts that he goes to emphasize in chapter 14. So he's getting ready for chapter 14 by bringing those up. But he says, If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not love, I gain nothing. And so as I talked about last time, something that Paul points out uh, in chapter 14 is that we use our gifts to benefit the church, right? If we, if we aren't using our gifts to benefit the church, he, he compared us to the same thing that he's doing here. We are like a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Uh, in 14, he talks about, you know, it's like a trumpet playing the wrong notes. We aren't accomplishing anything if we aren't using our gifts to accomplish, uh, do something for the church. And here, Paul is saying that it doesn't matter what you accomplish with your gifts— If you don't have love, if you don't do it with love, then it's all for naught. And so as Jesus mentioned in his ministry, uh, the faith the size of a mustard seed can move a mountain. And and Paul references that here. Right? Think about this ability, the ability to move a mountain. I know we have lots of mountains around here, so that's easy to picture. Um, But if you've ever seen a mountain, that's that's an interesting thought. You know, I remember the first time I saw a mountain, I thought we were really close until I realized that we were miles and miles and miles away from the, even the base of the mountain just because they're so large, right? And, and if we have the faith the size of a mustard seed, we could move a mountain. And Paul is saying, hey, that's cool if you have that ability, but if you don't love, then it doesn't matter. And he kind of takes it further. He says, hey, if you even go to the point where you're going to give away your car, you're going to give away your house. You're going to give away the possessions in your house. But you don't love. Then again, it doesn't matter. And then he goes to the, to the absolute extreme. Even if you were going to give your body as a sacrifice, if you were going to lay down your life for another person, but did it, but did it out of vain conceit instead of love, then it doesn't matter. Right, in, in John chapter 15, Jesus talks about this, actually. Jesus says that greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus says there is no greater example of love than to give your life for another person. But leave it to us as humans to be able to take something like that and use it for our own vain conceit. It doesn't matter if we don't do it without love. And what this means is we have to check our motives in our actions, right? The last time we talked about how uh, faith without action is dead. And the next part of that is saying, hey, yes, action is good, but if we don't partner it with love, then why are we doing it? Why are we doing the action? Are we doing it? because we want people to see us as a good person? Are we doing it out of fear for God? Are, are we doing it because we want to be able to boast about the great things that we've done? Right? Why are we doing the things that we do? Because if they aren't being done out of love, then we need to take a deep look inside of ourselves to see why. It is through our love that our actions become genuine. It is through our love that our actions become genuine. And we know this because this isn't just a rule that applies to ourselves, right? This is how God lives out his life. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 8, it says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. God is love. Yes, God's actions bring glory to himself and the things that he do show us uh, how amazing he is. But the reason that God does things is out of love. When God split the Red Sea and he allowed the Israelites to escape Egypt... He did that out of love. When God sent judges and prophets to this earth to give warning to the Israelites to say, hey, turn back to me, he didn't do that to bring glory to himself. He's not saying, hey, look at me. He's saying, hey, I love you and I know what's best for you. It came out of love. And the most popular verse in the Bible explains why God sent Jesus. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his son, his only son, to die for us. Right? And if I wanted, I could talk about Jesus and we could walk through the life of Jesus on this earth and look how his actions were done out of love. And what the Bible tells us is is that we need to follow the mindset of Christ who did nothing out of selfish ambition but out of his pure love for us that is what gave Jesus the strength to march up Calvary Hill to die for us. Paul is telling the Corinthians, yeah, you can accomplish amazing things. You can do really great things. But if it doesn't come from a place of love, it doesn't matter. Let's continue reading in, in chapter 13. Right, we're going to read that famous section again, starting in verse 4. uh, in the beginning of this, this message uh, This section is commonly used in weddings Which is great and it's applicable For a relationship between a husband and wife But Paul isn't specifically talking about marriage in this passage Remember the context of this is that uh, In this chapter that Paul is addressing unity within the church So yes, if you would like to maintain your marriage There's some great advice in here about love but Paul is telling the church how to deal with one another. That's what he's talking about here. Now, I'd like to walk through this, but there are some, th- some of these things are pretty self-explanatory. So I won't spend, you know, going through all the different things. But right, if we we're going to be loving people towards each other, that means we need to be patient. We need to be kind. Not envious, not arrogant, not rude, not selfish, or easily angered. Right? Those types of things are pretty easy to understand. What I want you to notice is there's a difference between easy to understand and easy to do. Right? It's a whole different thing to do. I know for me, when I drive, the choice to be patient and not easily angered does not come naturally. That's a a choice, and sometimes a hard choice, especially with I-29 and its amazing construction. But it's choice, right? Some things are easy to understand, but hard to do. Well, let's look at that, that last verse, right? It says, it keeps no record of wrongs. It keeps no record of wrongs. This can be easily misunderstood or taken out of context, right? So I want to give you kind of an extreme example of this. Um, but, you know, if someone, let's say, murdered someone, right? I, I Walked up cold blood. So I, don't, I won't go into the details. They murdered someone, right? They go to jail. They get out of jail, they go out and they murder a second person. You can't come to this passage and say, well, it says to keep no record of wrongs, so we shouldn't account the first murder in for the punishment for the second. That's not what it's saying here. It's not saying that we have to become, become oblivious to a person's patterns. That's not what it's talking about. What it's talking about is that we can't become resentful towards a person. We can't always just assume the worst of a person. We can't go around collecting their wrongdoing to keep in our back pocket for revenge someday. Right? That's not what love does. And it's funny because, you know, I said this passage isn't necessarily talking about marriage, but I feel like that's very applicable advice in a marriage is, hey, don't keep record of wrongs. Right? And we see that far too often. Right? People will hold things in. You know, we'll see something, we're going to hold it in until we explode, and then we're going to pull all that out of our back pocket and throw it right in their face. And it's saying, hey, love does not keep a record of wrongs. Right? Maybe a better way of saying this, or uh, an addition to the way we say this, is you know, record does not keep a record of wrongs because love addresses wrongs as soon as they happen. Love does not keep a record of wrongs because love addresses wrongs as soon as they happen. Right? And this is a good transition to our next verse, which is verse 6, where Paul says that love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Right? Loving someone is not turning a blind eye to the wrongdoing in their life, but it is instead gracefully sharing truth with them. And maybe a key to understanding this, right, because something that we have to do and sometimes the thing that we forget to do is before we go and we are able to love others, we need to be able to love ourselves and to do that well. And so maybe a key to understanding this is that that it goes for ourselves too, right? Jesus talks about, you know, take the plank out of your own eye before you point out the speck in your brother or sisters, right? Maybe that's sometimes the best way to love other people is to begin by loving ourselves and to look at the faults that we have in our own life and to seek truth. Say, hey, I recognize this, and I wanna seek out truth so that I can be a better person and I can love people better. And the last few things of this section. Love protects. And what that's talking about is essentially love doesn't gossip or it protects people from being the topic of gossip. You know, maybe, maybe we're not participating in gossip, but we're not protecting other people from being talked about in gossip. Love trusts. What that's talking about is, you know, again, that, that we don't think the worst of a person. We don't immediately think that, you know, they're in the wrong. Love hopes love perseveres through all right love love is not one big action it's not some grand gesture that we do one time and then we're set for the rest of our life love is shown in the daily choices that we make right paul is showing the corinthians because they're struggling with this They're struggling with the attitude of loving one another. And he's saying, hey, I want to define love for you so that when you are in different situations, you can see in the different choices that you have which one is the choice of love. Love is the choice that chooses patience over a snap judgment. Love is choosing the needs of others over our own personal needs. Love is choosing to go straight to the person you have an issue with. And what we see is there's something great at stake here because Paul is talking about unity, right? Paul's talking about unity, and Paul is saying, you know, and this goes for us, you know, we could have, you know, every person in their place, where they belong, you know, they know they're gifting, they're serving where they are gifted. We could have the right leadership in the right places doing the right things, and we could have... You know, our ministry set up where our programs are perfect and they're going to work great. But if we don't choose to add love to that, it won't matter. We will never see unity in the church if we can't learn to love one another. And what we're doing is we are giving way for our enemy to come in and destroy what we are trying to accomplish in the kingdom. And so, as we begin to look at this this last couple verses of this chapter, there's something that I found interesting. Is a lot of time when people quote this section of scripture, they they add in, completeness comes. What is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. What Paul is doing in this section, is pointing out the temporary things of our life that we are currently living in. The spiritual gifts that God has empowered us with are great. They are important, but they are here for now. They are important to us now in this life. And so when Paul says, when completeness comes, he's talking about after Jesus returns. When redemption and reconciliation between us and God is fully complete, Right? In the time of completeness, these gifts are no longer necessary. They are no longer needed. There is no need to speak in tongues. There is no need to prophesy. Right? He describes our current understanding of things, the way we currently see our world as like looking in a mirror and seeing a reflection. And something we have to understand, this isn't just like the mirrors we have now where it's a clear picture and the image is just reversed, but image, uh, the mirrors at this point were made of bronze. I don't know if you've ever seen a mirror made of metal, but it's not quite like the ones we have made of glass. You know, you might have imperfections in the metal. The quality of the image might be a little bit hazier. Right? He's saying this, is, this type of a mirror is our current understanding of the world around us compared to when someday we will join God in completeness and we won't have to look through a mirror but we will be able to see it face to face and it's because of this partial understanding of what we are looking at that we as humans have this desire to cling to things that are partial I'm one of the weird people who really loves the book of Ecclesiastes you should read it it's a great book in the Bible Um, But a lot of people find it depressing because King Solomon, who wrote it, is just talking about how everything is meaningless. But he's talking about partial things. He's talking about partial things like amassing possessions. Partial things like power and authority. Like accolades. He's saying those are partial. They're not a part of the complete. They're not things that will carry over with us into eternity. And Paul is trying to show the Corinthians, yes, spiritual gifts are amazing but they are part of the partial, not of the complete. In fact, Paul is saying that there is only one thing in our entire life that is eternal. That there is only one thing that we will take with us from now into eternity. And that's love. It's love. Love will be the only thing that carries over into eternity. And this makes sense, because the only thing that is currently eternal, the only thing that we know to be eternal, is our God. And our God is love. And so as we get into this last verse, there's some interesting things happening here. It says, And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Right? If we were to break down the three pillars of a Christian life, like, hey, if you need to have three things right now in your life as a Christian, you should have faith, you should have hope, and you should have love. It is through our faith in Jesus Christ as Savior that we received grace. It is because of our hope of Jesus' return and a life eternal with him that it gives us the strength to go through the hardships that we endure on this earth. And as we've talked about all morning it is through love that we know God and show who God is to others. And throughout all these last verses Paul is comparing things that are temporary with things that are eternal. And he's doing that here in this last verse as well. Paul is saying right now that the most important thing in our life as Christians are faith, hope and love, but only one of these things Bridges the gap between the partial and the complete. Even in comparison to faith and hope, love is still the only eternal aspect of our lives. When I started to study that, and I, you know, that was really hard for me to hear. That was hard for me to read. It. How can faith and hope, two things that we talk about the most in the church, not be eternal? And then I remembered a verse out of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 1. It says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith and hope are what give us the ability to look into a dirty mirror and know that there is something better coming. They are amazing tools for us here and now, but someday we won't have to look through a mirror, but we will get to see that image face to face. And in that moment, our faith is fulfilled. Our faith is fulfilled the day that Jesus comes for those who trusted him. We won't need faith because we will have Jesus. We will be with him. Our hope is fulfilled when we step into eternity, leaving all of our troubles of this earth behind us. We won't need hope because there's nothing more better, more better, better to hope for. There's nothing better to hope for when we're in eternity with God. Faith and hope are part of the partial. But as Paul talks about unity, he says that love is the utmost importance because love is what's eternal the relationships that we have with the people in this room if you want to look around you can, they're not temporary, they're not temporary relationships we can ignore people we can move away from people we can even try to die to get away from people but our relationships with other Christians are eternal we might as well start now to try to love each other. If we want our church to succeed, then we have to know what's most important. The spiritual gifts that God has given us are amazing and extremely useful, but they only mattered if partnered with love. We need to be constantly evaluating our motives make sure that they aren't empty of love, right? Love isn't just some big action. It's not just a one-and-done type thing. Love is seen in the small daily choices that we make. It's seen when we decide to be humble in different situations. It's seen when we decide to protect people from being the topic of gossip. It's seen when we don't hold grudges or seek revenge towards other people. Love is the glue that holds unity together in the church. Not just now, but for all eternity. So I don't know if that excites you or worries you that you have to spend the rest of eternity with the people that are sitting around you. I'm not quite sure how you feel about that. But it's true. We should show the world that our love for each other is not partial. It's not something that we expect to end It's something that we expect to take with us into all eternity. That our relationships are not something that we can run away from or avoid, but as people intertwined forever, we are making a constant effort to choose love. Because as Jesus says in the book of John, the world will know that we are his disciples by our love for one another. Look around this room this morning. Get used to these faces. And in the daily chaos of life, let us show the world who we are by choosing love. Will you pray with me? Dear God, you are amazing. I thank you so much for what you've done for us. I thank you for who you are, that you are love. That the things that you do are done with love for us And the the Bible is an example of that. We can walk through the different events and see your love for us and the way that you pursue us. We can see your love and the greatest example that you've shown us in, in sending your son to die for us and help us. Give us the strength to have his mindset, to have the mindset of Jesus in our life, that we choose love over selfish ambition. Help us choose love in the daily decisions that we make because just as our relationship with you is eternal, our relationships with those around us in this church are also. Help us live that way so that the world through us can see who you are and to see your love. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.